0: Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills, on the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle. Which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle Now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy.
1: It's no good walking out to bat and trying to play um, Sylvester Stallone if you John Cleese. You can't. You need to have all your wits about you and go out there and back up, back up if you want to start throwing punches. So for me, it was, yeah, it was a case of also not letting down and not letting anyone get to me. Uh, so if you, you guys started to go at me, I, I, I mean, I'd somehow and for some strange reason, it would get me going and I'd play a little bit better.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we are all in for another treat. This guy is another one of the modern greats of world cricket. And like A.B. de Villiers, that we've been so fortunate to have on this show, this guy also plays and did play across every format of the game the way that every batsman dreams of being able to bat. The things that this guy did on the cricket field so consistently throughout his career made him one of my all-time favourite players to watch. Kevin Peterson, thank you so much for being on my show.
1: Why were you so nice when I played against you?
0: <laughs> same same for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> We, we played to get. We played together just recently. Quetta, Hampshire days back in two thousand and five. Times have changed, have
1: We have. We've had a lot of fun actually. It's 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 a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, nice to see you making use of your spare time by wearing glasses. No
0: one's going to be able to see this. It's a it's a podcast. It's audio. <laughs>
1: okay. So, so let me just explain to the viewers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Watto so is in the United Arab Emirates at the moment. He's just come back from training. He looks filthy. He's sweating. He's oh, got no a shirt. dusty pair of uh, uh, greased-up uh, glasses. And what on <laughs> on your head?
0: <laughs> it's a hat backwards and earphones. Mate, I need to, I'm plugged in for sound. Come on.
1: There we go. I okay. have to do, have to do question number, right. Question number one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I haven't started yet. Okay, we'll get into the questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, in KP's 104 test matches that he played, he scored 2300s at an amazing average of 47.28. In his 136 one-day internationals, he scored over 4,400 runs, at an awesome average of nearly 41, at a brilliant strike rate of 86 and a half. And in his 37 T20 nationals, he averaged nearly 38, which is unbelievable, at an incredible strike rate of 141. And who can't forget the innings? I can't. <laughs> of 47 <laughs> of 31 in the T20 World Cup final in Barbados. You pipped us. You
1: beat us. You- yeah, we got you. Yeah. We weren't okay. going to let you get that one, Water. Oh. You had a lot, Australian cricket had a lot of things around. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to let you get that
0: one. You certainly didn't. No, and you batted beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> KP burst onto the international cricket scene in 2004 for his adopted England and immediately became one of the most dynamic batsmen that has ever played the game. I always was in awe of KP's ability to take on the bowlers no matter what the situation of the game, no matter what the conditions were, and dominated so often. Even though he scored a lot of runs when I was playing against him for Australia a lot and scored a lot of <laughs> runs off me, off my bowling, I always loved the battles. <laughs> I always loved the battles It was as it was super competitive but was totally in the right spirit. Well, that's what I thought anyway. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, 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 it was.
0: Initially, I played a couple of games with KP um, for Hampshire in 2005, back way back in the good old days, um, before the Ashes series started um, in 2005. And we played for the Coetid Gladiators um, together in KP's last ever tournament, which was, which was an absolute privilege. I always really enjoyed your company. And the, the thing that I loved away from the career ground is how incredibly interesting a guy that you are and so knowledgeable around so many aspects of life that I'm not as knowledgeable about, so I loved just I love talking to you about all those various things to learn as much as I can from someone who is very experienced in a lot of things outside of cricket. So, okay, before we go any further, there is one highlight for me that stands out um, amongst so many of your incredible innings that you played uh, throughout your international career, and this one was your debut Test hundred, 158 off of 187 balls <laughs> against the Aussies at the Oval in 2005. To do this right at the start of your career was simply ridiculous and to do it in the way that you did, taking on two of the greatest bowlers of all time, Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath, and also two of the fastest bowlers of all time, Brett Lee and Sean Tate. (laughs) 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 One, that's like, How did you do that? But two, what do you remember about that time?
1: (laughs) I mean, I I don't remember a lot about it because I drank myself into oblivion afterwards, so I've completely (laughs) forgotten about it. But it's on every single um, highlights package that they ever show. And uh, I just wish I'd never taken my helmet off for that stupid skunk I had on my head.
0: Oh, I love that skunk. That was timeless. But I mean,
1: it was, yeah, I mean, it it was amazing fun, though. And it was against exuberance of youth and... There was no fear. I mean, the, you know, the longer that you play, the more you think about it, the more you start to think, geez, I could get out here. Or, oh, who am I playing against tomorrow? Oh, I don't want to fail now. And then you get into your 30s, then you get into mid-30s, and you go, oh, my goodness, if you do fail a few times. And then, <laughs> I mean, you know it uh, more than I know it. You, I, I popped a calf, and I was like, oh, old man's injury. I popped another one. Whoops. And then it's just like, uh, uh, your time's up. So at the ripe old age of 25, you don't have any of those Worrying about your time's up, you're just living the dream. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, I walked out there and and I was hitting the ball nicely throughout the series. And at that time, I was hitting the ball as good as I was hitting the ball. So it was just a a passage of play where it's the purple patch, I suppose. I could have been caught a number of times, but I wasn't. I dropped my fair share as well, so I got let off. (laughs) Uh, And it was just a fun period of time where we were just playing the most Incredible series. I mean, that 100 was what that 100 was on the last day. That's fine too. That was just a roundup. Um, what was just one of the most crazy two months of cricket that I think have ever been played, and I've never seen cricket like that again. Maybe Stokes's 100 at Teddingley a couple of years ago, but other than that, there's been nothing that even compares to it.
0: I completely agree. That's some of the, it is the best, as good a test cricket as you can ever watch. Like every game, every game just ebbed and flowed like through every session, through every day. It was just a war of attrition. It was super cool. You just wish, like you just wish all test cricket was like that because like everyone would be on the edge of their seats for a whole series.
1: But the amazing thing about that, though, Watto, is that all those games went to day five yeah. or to the fifth day. It's the last <laughs> session of day five. And so like, you have a look at the way cricket's played now, and it's because of T20 cricket that guys are coming in and having a whoopsie from ball from <laughs> one. So <laughs> the, the aggressive nature of the way the guys play now, test matches are finishing in four days. But those test matches were like proper, proper mm. grinding, and Langer grinding at 100, Ponting grinding at 100. Vaughan, Strauss, Triscothic, uh, Bell, I mean, everybody was just, Freddie, Uh, it was Mm. just literally, it was that war of attrition, like you said, Uh, Damian Martin, uh, Gilchrist didn't get to 50 that whole series, Uh, Hados, I think got runs in one of the test matches, Uh, it was just, uh, and Pup Pup got, um, I mean, at that Old Trafford test match, Pup got 80 or 90, Mm. he played it beautifully and then Harmy knocked him over with the last ball of the day or something and everybody just probably properly clubbed in every single session it was just it was just like a, it was like a t20 game every session in terms of <laughs> events happening off different balls a lot slower but each session was just like wow
0: so cool so cool!
1: Yeah, it was. It was immense
0: Yeah, absolutely. To be a part for you to be a part of that, um, I was you know playing for so Hampshire, lucky. watching from watching from afar, and it was incredible.
1: Yeah, um, so lucky.
0: Kaper, you've had so many phenomenal highlights throughout your career. Is there one that really stands out to you the most?
1: Well, there's not one. I was lucky enough to be a part of some amazing team stuff. I was mm-hmm. also lucky enough to be a part of some amazing individual success and. Uh, sometimes individual success plays into the hands of a victory, when, which means it counts more. Uh, beating you guys in the Caribbean was, was amazing because it was our first ever white ball win, England's first ever white ball win, so it meant a hell of a lot to the country. Um, beating India in India again was a huge thing because not many teams come over to India and give them a whack in India, and we came over and after losing the first test match, dominated the rest of the test series and beat them. Uh, we beat you guys down under, but that team that you put out there wasn't as good as beating you guys at the Oval, where you had the proper mm. players. You know what I mean? It was. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I mean, you guys can. <laughs> no, but you, you, know what I mean. Yeah, I you do, know what absolutely. I mean. There wasn't. Yeah, yeah. That. It wasn't that, and the media. The media. Your media turned on you. It wasn't. That. Mm. I mean, okay, we won that series two one or whatever you, um, or three one or whatever it was, but it wasn't that proper series uh, where you where mm. you know you've beaten a really like strong Australian mm. team and that's why yeah. that India series ranks right up there Tendulkar Laxman mm-hmm. um, who else do they have uh, Harbhajan Singh Zaheer mm-hmm. Khan Virat Kohli mm-hmm. uh, you name it dude they had ever Gautam Gambia Verinda Savag mm-hmm. and all that kind of and we just <laughs> club it them yeah so that was that was that was a cool series to win there um, and then yeah, that hundred at the Oval. Uh, I got a hundred in Sri Lanka when I never thought I'd be able to bat for more than an hour in Sri Lanka. So I just decided I'm just going to go swinging here. And I got a hundred in a session and a half, just because I sweat so much. Yeah, a <laughs> um, hundred on uh, captaincy Test Test captaincy debut. I got a hundred mm-hmm. against South Africa. Those hundreds against South Africa. My yeah. first trip ever away yeah. from home was in South Africa, and I was like, oh my word, I got abused there. Do you mm-hmm. think I ever got abused as much? It was there, the Gabba and South Africa. I got
0: met. Gabba, come on. (laughs) Aussie crowds are decent. They're not as bad as like, gosh, I found the New Zealand crowds to be horrendous.
1: Mate, Brisbane's not Australia. I love Australia. (laughs) I'm a Queenslander. Come on.
0: I grew grew up going to the Gabba and watching the games, just sitting there, just admiring it.
1: I know you did. I know you did. And, and you're very lucky that I'm on your show. You're very, yeah, very lucky. No, I know. Exactly. I forgot, I forgot about that. I should have, I should have reminded myself that you're, you're, from you're a numpty from up top there.
0: <laughs> Country bumpkin. We love it.
1: <laughs> no, it's incredible,
0: mate. Okay. We're going to get into, into some uh, lessons that you learned around the technical side of batting. So um, from a batting perspective, was there one specific technical component that really stands out to you that you developed? And then from that moment on, you knew if you bought that every time you bat, you're a great chance of being at your best.
1: Yeah. My head as close to the ball on the front foot and back foot as possible. So my eyes, so does the kiss the ball theory, kissing the ball off the front foot and off the back foot. You get a boxer Boxers never winning if he's up against the rope, but he's winning if he's like this. So the short mm-hmm. ball being all aggressive, being uh, in control and being dominating. Uh, I remember a series of 18 months where I went without a test hundred and, uh, everyone was trying to do all sorts. And I was like, you know what? I can't, this this English environment, they just, they just don't get it. They're like, watch this video of you playing in Adelaide. Watch this video here. This is what you were doing. But I'm all about feel. And I said, no, stuff this. I'm going back to South Africa. So I went back to my mentor in South Africa, Graham Ford. and He threw three balls to me in the nets at Kingsmead, And he said to me, he said, you're not doing what made you so successful. So I said, what do you mean? He said, your head's not anywhere near the ball. So I started pressing towards the ball and, that half an hour session, I was sorted. And then I got, uh, a month later, I got that double hundred against you guys in Adelaide yeah. in that test series. Mm.
0: No way. Just head.
1: It was all head. I was I was, I was, was stood back. My defensive shot, it looked great, but mm. I wasn't as close to the ball I was. So I was never in control. So trying to place the ball. I wasn't placing the ball. I would nick the ball and I'd miss the ball and I would time the ball. And it's just that whole thing of uh, or the, the approach or the technical uh, um ability to really engage with that round ball, that red round ball or the white round ball and get my eyes as close to it.
0: It's so amazing. Um, I know like even watching you in warm-ups, like hitting balls and hitting practice balls and doing your drills, like from afar, I, yeah. now that you say that I could, I can definitely, I could see that. And every time everything you're doing was around making sure that your head was right over the ball. Um, and you know, I, you always, you know, always watch what other people are doing, but yeah. Yeah. It was just
1: about connecting. It was that sound of sound of that on board.
0: And the other thing that I, the other thing that I found fascinating was your, was, is your pre-movement was your pre-movement. And was that all to do with that back and across and just that set up with your hands up again, that was all to do with making sure that your head was in front of your, like was in front of your front leg just about to be able to then make sure that you had power to move, push forward. So your head was, you know, right under the ball, onto the ball, and then again, so you had power to push back and make sure your eyes were right under the ball?
1: Not really. The trigger was just purely to get me ready for the ball. I didn't want to start going to look for the ball as soon as the ball was delivered. I wanted Mm. to be able to be in a position to pounce Mm. against the guys bowling fast. Mm. as soon as they delivered the ball. So I didn't want to go right now. I'm going to go as soon as the ball is delivered and I'm stood still. i don't go right now. I've got to get myself as soon as the ball gets delivered. I don't want to say to myself, okay, now we're going to go looking for the ball and Mm. then we've got to pounce. I want to be looking for the ball ready for where it's delivered. And as soon as it's delivered, I can either pounce front foot or back foot. Mm.
0: Yeah. And there was a timing component to that. You're conscious of the timing, how important that timing component was to that pre-movement?
1: Timing, yeah, timing wasn't too hard, mate, because I mean, I'm not the brightest and back and across is not too difficult.
0: Yeah, but (laughs) still, like I I know that from my perspective, if my pre-movement was a little bit too late, then I felt really rushed. So I made sure that um, if when I do have my pre-movement, I'd prefer to move a little bit too early than too late, because then, as you know, when you're rushed, then your head's moving and everything sort of feels like it's, the ball's coming a lot quicker than what it is when you move early and you're a lot stiller, as you said, in a powerful position to be able to pounce.
1: Yeah, I never, I never really thought about it in, in that manner. I just thought mm. that I wasn't batting well. I, didn't, I never thought that my trigger was too early or my trigger was too late. Um, yeah. For a lot of my career, I just wasn't yeah. batting well, and I'd walk out to the middle and I'd go, oh, my goodness, there's no chance. I have absolutely no chance today. And that had nothing to do with my trigger. That was just me putting my back yeah. down and going, Oh, cracky Here we go. Yeah, who's this yeah. clubby? <laughs>
0: well, I never saw uh, that. that <laughs> I never bloody saw that. Jeez. Mate,
1: there were a number of times against you guys. <laughs> I walked down the wicket. I walked down the wicket at Siddle in a Test match in, in Adelaide. Yeah, uh, I was about three or 13 balls, and I walked down to Siddle. I hit him straight to Bailey at, at mid wicket. Just whipped him there. Yeah, and I just I walked off there, and I knew I was like. I was never scoring runs that day. I had no idea where it <laughs> just. The whole feel of the yeah. bat didn't feel good. Yeah. And clearly, I mean, I got hammered. I'm batting number four for England. I'm the one yeah. who's supposed to be smoking you lot. Yeah. And I'm walking down the wicket on a four in a Test match, and I get hit it straight to Bailey at wicket. But that was the internal battle that I had with myself that no one ever knew about. Mm. But I mean, I can talk about it when I'm done.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a beauty of being able to talk about it now. Um, And we're going to, I'm going <laughs> to ask a couple yeah. of questions about that in a second. Um, Just while we're on the technical side of things, you were an incredible player of spin bowling. Like I'm very, very envious of the way you're able to take on spin bowling in all conditions, especially spinning conditions. So were there a couple of technical keys that you locked in and knew if you did this, especially in turning conditions that you were going to be at your best?
1: Uh, Pre DRS is when I, Played, I played nicely. So I played Warnie and everyone really well um, pre DRS. So that was yeah, that was that was no drama because I'm six foot four and I was able to get my lunge out there. And if I got hit Mm. on the front foot, I was not out. Mm. Then DRS came in, and that's when all the spinners started to really trouble me because. That movement of going forward, lunging, and playing across into the leg side, i come and mm. stuck a couple of times, LBW, LBW, and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to have to change the way that I play here. Okay. So, when uh, I spent that time with Rahul Dravid and uh, got quite close to him, and he helped me change the whole way of playing against spin, looking to hit every ball through the offside, looking to open up the offside, whereas I was a leg side dominating player. And you look to open up the offside of every single delivery that mm. a spinner bowls you you're opening up all of the field. I was only opening up the leg side. So anything outside of off stump, I'd like, if it was a good length, I was either playing with my hands and missing or I'd be able to whip it because I've got a long reach mm-hmm. or if it was over-pitched, I'd smack it through cover. Yeah. But anything good outside of off stump, I would struggle with. Uh, and I never used my feet as well because I was able to lunge. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there were a couple of drills that I did where I got guys to throw balls to me and the only shot I was allowed to hit was, I was hit the ball through the offside. So it didn't matter if it pitched a meter outside leg stump, I had to move my body to hit the ball through the offside and hit every single ball through it and practice on rubbish wickets, practice on the outground where it spins and jumps and rolls. And once I started doing that, I did that for about six months. I think from 2012, 2011, 2012, maybe even 2012, 2020, T20 World Cup. So towards mm. the later stages of 2010, I think the Ashes mm. Tour till I finished my career 2018, mm-hmm. I played spin. Like everyone was going, oh will bowl left arm spin to And I was mm. just like, I'd walk out to bat and they would bowl this too. And literally I used to pongo it everywhere, mate. I just mm. used to love it so much because my technique was so good. I was like, mm. bowl me a left arm spinner. Don't bowl me someone running in at 90 mile an hour trying to take my head off. So mm. I actually really enjoyed it.
0: And what you're saying there, hitting through the offside, that was against the spin as well as with the spin, right? Everything. Both, everything. Yeah. Everything. Yep.
1: And that wasn't a case of just because you wanted to hit the ball through this offside because of the way the ball was spinning. Mm. It was all about picking length mm. and getting your body into a position to be able to hit the ball through the offside. Yeah. And then as soon as you start picking length, your body easily just knocks it into the leg side, knocks it into the leg side. But- because you're in such a good position so early when the ball's coming down, you go, okay, that's a leg side shot. That's comfortable for me. I've been doing that since I was a kid. But opening up the offside was something I needed to really hone in on. So every single shot was right, offside, offside, offside.
0: Amazing. Cause it, so with Roel, you played with him at RCB for a couple of years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I
1: played with him at RCB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really close to him there. What right?
0: an amazing man. I played a lot
1: against him. Yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: From a fitness perspective, uh, you you were always super fit and incredibly strong. So, what did your fitness regime look like throughout your career? And I can see. Now, hang on before I before again, I can see a watt bike in the background there. I know we're talking about yeah. visuals for the people who are listening to this. So, obviously, you're yeah. still staying very fit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, throughout my career, I just ran. What else, So, when I was playing against you guys, I'd go for runs in in all the cities. So. Brisbane apart, I put a I put a, a, <laughs> clown, a clown
0: suit. I put a clown a clown
1: suit on in, in in Brisbane, a sweatsuit and a clown suit, so that no one knew who I was, um, and couldn't abuse me. But it, I mean, yeah, in all the cities, I'd go for runs. And I mean, if I got myself out in a test match or I got out for nothing, I'd get into a treadmill and I'd run five or ten ks in the back of the dressing room mm-hmm. after I got out. Uh, but it, it, that messed up my knees, and then my calves popped in the IPL and uh, at Surrey in 2018. And I was just like, nah, I'm done. I've, I've, had enough. I'd rather play golf than play cricket. And so I hung my boots up and I've just got into cycling. And I mean, I've, I've, yeah, I've never been as fit as this. I wasn't as fit as this when I played, I don't think. Cycling has been amazing. I mean, i ride 50 Ks a day, 60 Ks. I've got this app, the Zwift app where I enter to races. I raced today, actually. I raced in, um, did I race somewhere in France today? I raced a 50 K race and it's, it's, it's wicked, mate. It's engaging. It gets me competi- competing. And I've lost 10 KGs since I, since lockdown in February, I've lost 10 KGs.
0: Wow. So with the riding, are you, is it um, on a, like on a bike or a stationary bike or is it out in the road?
1: Yeah, it's on a stationary bike. It's the one bike. Even at bike home? And with, even at
0: home? Even at home, at home you're yeah, riding I, on a stationary yeah, yeah, yeah. bike, I don't,
1: I, yeah? I don't, yeah, it's got exactly the same bike. So I got these yeah. guys to send this bike to, because we're in isolation and, and can't do yeah. anything, I got them to send this bike from London for me so it can be in my room so that I can still ride. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's a stationary bike that connects to my iPad, which I put on put straight onto the – there's a connection on the bike. You, you love your mm-hmm. iPad, and it connects to your bike via Bluetooth. And there's an app called Zwift okay. and you connect to this and you can ride all over the world. You can ride with your mates, you can ride in races. So I've got a Sunday ride where I ride 50 to 60K, sometimes 70K with my mates from all around the world on their different time zones. We log into it, we connect up via the app, and uh, we're right there on a screen and you're racing together and you're riding together. You connect via a Zoom like me and you are talking. Yeah. And you go hell for leather and you chase each other up mountains. Who's king of the mountains this Sunday? And it's unbelievable, dude. And yeah. with the competitive nature that that brings, I mean, I've shed so much weight. Mm. Crazy. And it's, yeah. and it's so, you, you feel like a different person
0: amazing mate wow um and just going back to your your longer so it was longer distance running that you used to do um during during your playing days is that right more so than
1: not long distance five k's ten five ten k's not long distance well for
0: me that's long distance (laughs) (laughs) three meters is long distance well up and down the wickets long distance or my run-ups run up (laughs) run up about 20 meters so it was more that's
1: why get get on a bike mate get this bike seriously
0: mate, I have, I've got a Watt bike at home mate a lot because of because really? I was injured a lot yeah because i got injured a lot yeah from my calves yeah, and yeah. hamstrings my fitness was a lot of the time on a bike and especially i've got a Watt yeah. bike at home so um that was my way to be able to which what bike do you have no oh, it's an old it's an older school one it's not one of the sort of I bought it probably about, it might be 10 years ago. Yeah. So you so. need to
1: get yourself on it is ease and get on mm. that Swift app and then we can ride together.
0: Let's do it. Great. Okay. And you talked about just some of those injuries that you had, your knees and your your calves right towards the, towards the end. Mm. So if you had your time again, would you have done anything differently from a fitness perspective, knowing how things sort of ended up towards the end of your career?
1: Yeah. I would have ridden more instead of running.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't have put as much cause I was six, I'm six foot four. I'm just under a hundred kgs. So I was 97 when I was playing. Um, I was bloody pre-lockdown. I was 107, but I'm now back to 97. Wow. Um, and I've, yeah, I, it doesn't put as much stress on your joints. Mm. So I would have definitely run. Uh, I would have ridden a lot more instead of uh, instead of running.
0: Yep, loading up my joints. Yep. Okay. One of your hallmarks as a batsman was your relentless thirst for scoring runs and doing it by taking on every situation. So, from a mental skills point of view, were you always built a certain way? or did you develop certain mental skills that you used to to bring your best so consistently
1: you know what mate it wasn't a case of anything to do with mentality it was a case of why how how i am as a person mm-hmm. and how i well, how i was as a person through my 30s uh, 20s and early early 30s to into the mid um, into the mid 30s uh, until you, I've completely relaxed now and I'm on a, a different path in my life in, in the world of conservation and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was like, re- I want everything now and something needs to happen now. And I was that bullish, right, I'm going to come and get you kind of vibe. And also that was my role in the England team to go out there and be dominant and powerful and uh, obstructive and club the opposition. And I mean, that's everything that they wanted from me. And I had to play that play that story or play that role even when I wasn't playing nicely, um, and I was lucky enough that I had a talent that backed it up. It could have easily gone pear shaped, but I don't know. I was just lucky enough that a talent and a work ethic that backed that up and, and helped me through the process.
0: So, what would you say was the, from a mental like intensity point of view, what would you say the best version of you looked like? Like, what intensity level was it? Was it um, was it that real Relax. intense taking them on? Or was it more no, sort was, of chilled? I,
1: I was really relaxed with my game. I was I okay. was really relaxed in my game, but obviously you got to puff your chest out and walk out there as if you own that pop increase. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was at my best when my practice was flawless, <laughs> and that's and that's basically it's when my practice was flawless. I never substituted anything for hard work. I never went to bed the night before a test match or a one day international or anything thinking, oh, my goodness, why didn't I practice my sweeps today if I'm going to sweep him tomorrow? If I'm playing Habeshan tomorrow, or Why? Have I, how, how's my pull shot looking? I got Brett Lee tomorrow at the Gabba. Can I play the push shot? I mean, just a perfect example is that first trip down under 2006, seven after we whacked you guys in 2005. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, we're going to take his head off. We're going to clean him out. He's not going to be able to play in Australia. La, 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 la. all the nonsense associated to it. And so for two weeks leading into the first test match, I just went in early morning, late afternoons. No one saw it. I took um, our batting coach and I went and put a bowling machine in the nets and I had those hockey balls. Mm. Bow, bow, bow. 90 mile an hour bumpers. Mm. And I just did that for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And it was amazing. I played against New South Wales in a warm-up game. McGrath played, McGill played, Clark played, Lee played, Bracken played, uh, some other numpty played. And I just I just walked out to the crease and binga started bouncing me with uh, and and I and I just started whacking it and I started playing it well and I was just like I, I'm properly ready for this series now. Got to the Gabba, got 92 in the first dig. Got to Adelaide, I got 150. Got to Perth, I went 50, 70. Melbourne, uh, I didn't get a run in Melbourne. And then in Sydney, I yeah, I don't think Sydney, I got Melbourne, I got 20 and 30s. Sydney, I got 20. And hardly anything, um, I mean, our race was run completely by them, but mm-hmm. it's that little bit of dedication to practice which helped me in my career, identifying something that I know I need to improve on and making it work.
0: So a really important part of your your mental preparation was making sure you ticked every single box the day before Everyone. the game, so your confidence—you knew leaving that net session or that that day before the before that game—that yep. you'd ticked every box, so confident you were very confident going to the game, knowing you've your preparation was, as you said, was flawless. Yeah,
1: yeah. Walking up to bat, I knew that your best delivery, I would be able to manage. Hmm. Simple. That's it.
0: It's interesting because I always I always thought playing against you that the best version of you was, yeah, you walked out with your chest out, but it was, I'm taking, I'm taking you on. I'm, I'm adding that intensity that I'm getting in, getting in a contest. I'm getting in the fight. Cause I want to, I want to dominate you, which you, <laughs> which you did so often, but it was, but it was more.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't, but it wasn't, that was, I mean, that was just nonsense. That was just provider. Whatever. That was just mm-hmm. role playing. If you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. want to call it that I still needed to make sure that I was in control of when you bowled me the ball, I was on what the ball was delivered. It's no good mm-hmm. walking out to bat and trying to play um, Sylvester Stallone if you mm-hmm. John please. Yeah, you can't. You need yeah. to have all your <laughs> wits about you and go out there and back up, back up if you want to start throwing punches. So mm-hmm. for me, it was yeah, it was a case of also not letting down and not letting anyone get to me. Uh, so if you you guys started to go at me, I I, I mean I somehow and for some strange reason it would get me going and I'd play a little bit better but I don't know
0: I just I find I find that fascinating I do I absolutely find that fascinating around you kn- you knew the best version of you was not getting caught up and it was just making sure you were focused on the ball and what was coming down but then playing against you, it was always, he's in the battle. He's in the contest. He looks like he's trying to get into that fight to get himself up and going. But in your own mind, you knew where you, where your mind had to be, especially as the ball was about to be bowled.
1: Greg Blewett said to me when I was uh, in 2000, he said to me, I said, what do you th- bat about batting? What, what do you, what do you think about batting? What do you, he was our overseas player. Hmm. He said, we're not the smartest blokes in the world. He said, And we can't think about two or three things at the same time he said but by the time the bowler gets to the back of his mark there is only one thing you should be thinking about worrying about even contemplating getting involved in and that Mm -hmm. is that little thing that Mm -hmm. that guy's holding and he's going to deliver it's 10 seconds and then you're done that's Mm -hmm. all it is just go and do 10 seconds and then you're done and i did that my whole career the only time Mm -hmm. i never did that was when Alan Donald bowled to me in a county championship game in 2002 or 2003, and he's my hero growing up. And he ran into me, and I was just like, oh, my word, look at this. This is like a video, <laughs> me- video game. I thought <laughs> I was playing a video game. Alan Donald running into me with that white light with that beautiful runner. Yes, so
0: run cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let me tell you, like and I was watching Alan Donald run up, my off stump was that third man. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I didn't watch the ball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's easy to do. Someone like him, goodness yeah. me. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so so, I just concentrated. No matter all the nonsense and the hullabaloo that was going on yeah. uh, after I'd played the shot or missed the ball or left the ball, as soon as Binger got to the back of his mark, or especially when they were uh, reverse swinging it in mm. India, or Sri Lanka against Pakistan, I would always monitor that ball. And I may be having a ding-dong with somebody at extra cover, but I would always be on that ball to see – which side is he holding the ball? Is it going to swing in? Is it going to swing out? Yeah. And, I mean, luckily my eyes are pretty good. So, I mean, from most guys' run-ups, so Zahir Khan and uh, James Anderson were the only two bowlers that I, ne- I was never able to pick, pick which side the ball they were holding because they covered the ball so well. Yeah. The rest of them, I didn't have any issues with any of that stuff.
0: That's That skill that you had around it being super aware of those 10 seconds as a ball as a ball is about to yeah. start to run in, and then once yeah. the ball was bowled, you had that that mental process of being able to make sure you switched off as well.
1: You were yes. very you were very yeah. conscious about that. Big time, big time. And yeah, when,
0: yeah. when did you? And when were you? When did that start? Because that was one thing that I was shocking at shocking at was actually switching off in between balls. I was like on, I was on for the, I was on the, like for the battle and all the time. And I did not, I wasn't aware of how important it was to be able to be on when you need to be, but then switch off because you need to be able to conserve your mental energy. So you can do it for like a long period of time. Uh,
1: I I just think that came naturally because of how intense I was watching that ball. Mm -hmm. And I was so focused on that ball but as soon as the ball was delivered and and, and the, result was, the result was on the particular ball, mm. it was done. It was gone. The ball was done and I was on to the next one. <laughs> and con- trying to concentrate for that long, trying to think, oh, no, I've got to stay in this, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, mm. I've got to do this. And it's different. It's different stages of your innings. I mean, at the start of your innings, you're still trying to suss out the wickets and you're still mm. trying to suss the pace out or the spin. So mm. you do concentrate for a little bit longer. But once you get in – or once I got in, I was just like, no, nah, it's just the ball—five, five, six, seven six, seven seconds—and then done.
0: It's a great skill that you had, and that's the reason why you were able to be so successful for so long. Because that's something that I—I I just didn't—I didn't do well. I didn't do well at all, and no one really talked to me about. They talked to me about concentration, but it wasn't like breaking it down to be really as simple as what you said there. Ten seconds, <laughs> as a ball is yeah. told his mark, running, and then make ah. sure you do switch off.
1: That's all you, that's all you get judged on.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Um, they're amazing insights, mate. And I really appreciate you being so, so open about it. It's awesome. You are now heavily involved in the media as a commentator. And as we all know, the media can provide a lot of different challenges at times. So from what you know now, would you have approached yeah, yeah. the media, would you approach the media in a different way throughout your career?
1: Oh, uh, you know what? I wish I'd understood television media. Yeah, Yeah. and I think youngsters around the traps should actually spend a few days in commentary uh, watching it and actually seeing what the vibe is like up in the commentary box, what we get up to, what we talk about, um, and understand that things that we say on occasions may come out as personal or may come out as a bit of a dig or whatever, Mm -hmm. but we're just calling a game and calling a game as we see it. Uh, I try my hardest to give people a lot more benefit of the doubt um, because of the hard time that I suffered at the hands of the media. So I try my hardest to try and look for a positive uh, in something. If there's no positives, then unfortunately I can't go look for positives. But I will try. Like if somebody is going over mid-on and gets caught at mid-on or he's he's trying to go over long-off and he gets caught at long-off, I'm just like, well... I actually think the, the the shot was on. I think I, I think I'm a pr- pr- pretty much a modern day commentator who understands what we used to practice only 18 months ago, two years ago. The boundaries are not big enough. We are confident enough to go and hit sixes, and if we get caught at plan, it's like okay. Well, I mean, I practice it. I practice hitting the slog sweep while I come down the wicket and pongo spinners or whatever. So, not really an issue. Whereas I was commentated on by a lot of players who never understood the modern-day game. And I used to cop it, dude. Jesus, well, you know how much I used to cop it. Everyone knows how much I used to cop it because of the way that I played. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, that's the way that I play. Mm -hmm. And they never, ever had that that's the way that you play. I've got to knock it down the ground. It's just like, no, that's not the way that we play now. And so I try and give guys a lot of the benefit of the doubt. Um, I don't know if you've heard any of it, but I try, mate, to give – A lot of benefit that it out to it, and and try and call it in a modern day way. Mm. But I wish I'd spent a bit more time in the commentary box to hear how the job's done and how it's not never really personal. And we actually do have a laugh up there, and on occasions you miss a lot of the cricket, and you then go back to it and you catch up on it. And I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a it's it's such a cool thing. It's it's broadcasting's cool. I mean, I don't do a lot of it; I only do like thirty to I don't know forty days a year. But it's fun when I do
0: it. Yeah, it's it it's it's super interesting you say that because there's no doubt when you listen to commentators when I did you know playing I did I'd take it very personally because one yeah. I wanted to do I wanted to do so well I was trying my absolute best I wanted to score runs every time I wanted to take wickets all yeah. that sort of thing and I absolutely would take it um, very personally. But what you're saying you, you're absolutely yeah. right. Like in the end they're calling it they're calling it. The best that they can. Yeah, occasionally, like if I had my time again, I would have got to know the commentators better. I would have got to know them personally. Yeah, no. Um, it wasn't until right towards the back end of my career I started to get to know a couple of them who I'd never played with or I never knew because there's a couple in particular who used to have personal – I felt, well, it was it started to get a bit more personal. They just didn't particular I knew they didn't particularly like me and they kept having a few little digs. Whereas if How I had my time no. But did they know you? No. Whereas exactly. So, exactly. So if I had my time again, I'd have definitely got to spend time to be able to get to know them. And most importantly, they're greats. And great players, and they've got a lot yeah. to give—not just from a commentary point of view, but from a skill point of view, a mental skills perspective, how they dealt yeah. with things. So again, yeah. I had had my time. If I had my time again, I would have done that. Um, in regards yeah. to social media, how that's evolved so rapidly from you know, when we first started, when you first started, when we first started to yeah. where it is now. What advice would you give on dealing with social media for the young cricketers coming through right now? Because it's, it's different. It's a different world now.
1: I don't, geez, I don't know if I can give advice. It uh, Twitter is such a cesspit. I only do it because of all my <laughs> conservation stuff. Yeah. I, I, Instagram, Instagram, I, I much prefer to Twitter. Mm. Uh, Twitter is just full of knobbits. Um <laughs> But Instagram's more, Instagram's a lot more fun, a lot more positive mm. um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I can advise anyone on what they should be doing in, in the world of social media. I, so, I don't think I've got any advice for them. No. So,
0: so when you're when you're playing towards the back end of your career, did you used to read Twitter? Did you used to read the notifications and the comments that people were making, or did you just shut it out? Used like tweeted and that sort of thing, but just shut it out.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had, no, no, I had many a battle with Twitter. I mean, that was delete and then put back on, delete, then put back on, then delete, then put back on. Then I went through periods where I wasn't even looking at notifications. I'd only look at who I followed, but then Mm -hmm. people, some people who I followed started hammering me. If I got out to a cuck shot against you guys in Australia and stuff, I was like, Oh my word. Okay. Right. No, no, no. I gotta, I gotta watch out here. And it's amazing. Like I've met so many people after in even the world of, media and TV personalities and stuff who <laughs> I'd blocked on social media. <laughs> I'm having a beer and i a, a guy come up to me and say and I go, Hey, how are you? Yeah, good. Nice to see you. Good. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Everything okay? Yep. Great. Yeah, I'll see you here. I get talking and by the way, um, uh, you've blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> 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 and I go, Oh right, okay. So what do you say then? I don't just yeah. go blocking yeah and and then and then I've actually become quite friendly with quite yeah. a few of those who, who who did spray me but yeah you sometimes you just don't know the person and you don't know the individual and, and if you're a sensitive person you can get drawn into the person what you deem to be a personal dig as a personal dig and then a betrayal of you and you're trying your best and then your family get into it and they think oh who's this guy why is he hammering you and it just it's just a flipping downward spiral, man. And yeah. It's, yeah, it's not so cool. It's not cool. And I am no expert on social media, but during my playing days, I had a very, uh, a very love hate relationship with it. Now I just use it for social, uh, for conservation, driving positive messages. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we've all been engaged in this bloody coronavirus nonsense. So mm-hmm. I've sucked, been sucked into that on occasions, um, but that's it. I, I, I don't, really get hammered too much or as much as I used to when I played. Yep. But uh, yeah, it's not bad now.
0: And what you said there about social media, using it for good, like that's a great thing about the social media platforms is that it's a, it, you can really use it for good to be able to really make a difference in the world. And it's just for everyone out there knowing that if you actually are there for, for good and not just for there to have digs at people and that sort of thing, you actually can create a much better world that everyone lives in and and that 's the beauty of social media from that side of things, but as you said it's it 's the people who either don't certainly don 't know your person or anything personally where it 's super easy for them to just have a have a personal dig or just you know write you off or whatever it is but and again that 's where yeah. when it comes to talking about whether it 's the commentators or the um, the print media again, I started to get to know them more personally towards the end of my career, so they're a yeah. bit more a be more understanding. He yeah. If, yeah. Well, of course, if I, if I wasn't performing and that, they write the truth. Absolutely. But they can control how, how like one or two words can make a massive difference to where it's having a personal dig or where it's just stating the facts.
1: I know. And that's the problem. Like I've seen it a couple of times, like I can say something and then all of a sudden, two minutes later, it's a headline mm. and you see it and you're like, Oh my goodness. Like, you've got to be very careful with what you say. But mm. I mean, we're, I think we're different in the commentary box to the, to the written media. I mean, the written media is completely different. In the commentary box, you've got at least players who've properly played and yeah. they know the game inside out, and they've sweated and they've uh, toiled and they've done. You get some absolute numpties in the written media who sit there, eat all their food, drink all their wine, have their lazy lunches, and write about how you should be, you should be operating, and what kind of a person you are. I mean, uh, Don't get me started on that. Yep.
0: And I've never been in the cauldron. So, yeah, we'll move on. (laughs) We'll move on. (laughs) Okay. This is going to get into other aspects of life away from cricket. Uh, And I believe this is one of the most important life skills that most of us don't get much education on throughout our lives. But managing and investing our money as well as we possibly can is integral to make the most of what we've got. And I know you are very savvy with this with this sort of stuff. So your um, insights here are going to be amazing because you've given me some when we're playing together. So looking back from where you are now with what you've earned throughout your life, would you have done things differently from an investment and wealth generation point of view or the things implemented from a younger age? You obviously have made the most of what you've got.
1: I was lucky for the first four years of my career in England. I, was, I wasn't I was able to play for England, so I was just on a little wage in at, at uh, Nottinghamshire doing what I was doing and living the dream, mm-hmm. living the absolute dream. No social media, getting up to all sorts and having that much fun. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Then the 2005 Ashes came along, and again, I was single, no social media, and again, that was living the dream. And then, obviously, that Ashes 2000, the last test match, my life sort of changed. And I started to get offered all sorts of things, and my financial situation changed. But when my financial situation changed, my personal life changed as well, because I met Jess early on in 2006. Hmm. And so I was able to go through all the garbage of being out and about all the time and spending money in nightclubs and bars and clothes and. All the rubbish. I'd done that for five years, and I'd flattened that properly. Uh, And then I met Jess, and to be fair, she's got she had also done all of that. I mean, she was very successful in her job, and she had done all that nonsense. And so we um, we got to a situation where we um, where we, I mean we we started to invest together. Uh, And we started to make sure that we weren't wasting what we had. And I I started to also realize that very quickly, this all could go away if I got an injury. So I started to be very careful about what I did, what I invested in uh, and where I put my money. I mean, I, I was young and stuff and I bought some cars and had some fun with that. But apart from that, I mean, we bought houses, we kept buying houses, we kept buying houses, I had a proper structure, financial team, financial advisors, accountants, everyone controlling everything that I had. Uh, and, I mean, that's why I'm in the position that I've been at the moment, because we were so smart for such a long time. I was injury-free, and we all benefited off the IPL and uh, ECB contracts and all the tournaments around the world, being able to play as you do as, a, as one of those icon players, uh, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't like spending. I never had. I never got into gambling or betting. I never drank. I didn't drink a lot, so I wasn't running up crazy drinking tabs. Uh, where I spent my money, I've made money.
0: That's why it's so cool because there's not too many people that I've talked to in general and had on this show who have been from a young age. So 2000, 2006, What you're twenty six? Six. Twenty six. To be at and that's when your earning capacity really started to really grow as well to be able to be that um wise at a a young age as well and that savvy um you know yeah to be able to realize that I need to make the most of what I've got I do have to get really good people around me did you find it easy to be able to find those good people around you whether it's your accountant whether it's your investment I was lucky
1: I was very lucky yeah I, I did I was very lucky um but then also, you don't need to have clever people around you when you are buying property and, you're, and you understand the property market and you have a, have a wife who has crazy eye for property and, and, and that's just her passion. So, we, um, yeah, we've, we've been very lucky. We've been so lucky. We're not lucky. You make your own luck. But yeah. property has been our proper player, which has been amazing for us.
0: It's incredible. It's incredible, mate. And good for you, good on you and Jess. And for people out there listening to this, um, you know, people who are coming into, you know, coming into professional cricket and, and professional yeah. sport in particular, it's being incredibly wise. Cause as you said there, is it can be all be taken away in one, in one moment. You get a bad injury and then it's done. So yeah. you need to have that have that foresight to understand that I need to make the most of what yeah. I've got right now. And something yeah. as simple as you know, property, been able to invest it from a, from a youngish sort of age as well. Then you capitalize on that towards the back end of your, well, back end of your career and then life after cricket. Um, so that's incredibly wise, man. Good, good for you and Jess.
1: And, and the one thing I never did is I never invested in things that I didn't know anything about. Water. So the only thing that, I mean, I've come unstuck in COVID because of the markets, but I had a play in the markets in the last couple of years. And uh, as, I mean, I, a bit of it was in technology, but a lot of it was in a lot of other things which have been smashed. Mm -hmm. And so that's just, again, a learning curve for me, like just stick with what you know, stick with what and don't touch anything that you don't know. So, um, we've, the majority of the time, 90% of the time we focused hard on, uh, on stuff that we know and with it being things that we know we can control and we can put into and pull out of, uh, and, yeah, we've been we've been very lucky,
0: very lucky. Well, it's because you're super wise. <laughs> that's the reason why. That's you've made you've made your own luck in that regard. Because, um, yeah, gosh, it's it's phenomenal. And and what you said there, just the one thing that you mentioned there around you investing in things that you know things about, and that's one thing that I invest. I invested in some things I didn't, especially business when I didn't know what was going on in these businesses, and before you know it. That investment you put in is run dry (laughs) because I was just thinking yeah yeah, so and that's one thing that I've realized now is if I'm going to invest in something one I'm going to do all my research to make sure I really understand what the hell it is but then um, make sure there's an expert around who know that you know you can trust, you deeply trust, but then from Correct. a business perspective, Correct. I'm only investing in something that i know the inner workings of and mo- most importantly, I'm actually in the thick of it and I know what questions are asked to make sure that the money's being spent the right way. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be. Have to be. Have to be in control. And you've played in all sorts of conditions and you've left your family on that many on that many times. You've gone to the airport in Sydney and said goodbye to your kids that many times. You need to know where your money's being spent.
0: Yeah, exactly. And with this, you are, as we were talking about, you are the most cricketer, one of the most entrepreneurial cricketers that I've ever met, which I absolutely find fascinating and I love. And with Sarai, this incredible um, foundation that you set up, Save Our Rhino Africa India. Seriously, that is incredible what you're doing with conserving the rhino population around the world. It is phenomenal what you set up and the impact Mm -hmm. for good that you are having please yeah talk talk to me and talk to us more yeah. about this because it's fascinating mate
1: yeah we, we've been so i went to callison Boucher, took me on a and graham smith took me on a rhino dehorning and a microchipping experience in 2013 um when i was going through all my shit in england with all my autobiography and all the nonsense they were like why don't you come out to africa we'll go take you into the bush there's no reception there we're going to do x y and z so when i was out there i i got um I got to hear about everything that was happening in the world of conservation and the illegal poaching that was happening and how they were killing all these animals and how Irano being part of the big five in Africa is going to be destroyed and they're killing three a day. I mean, only just today I was got, got off a call to somebody who told me about this horrific thing that they flew into, um, this killing of a mother and a calf this morning. I mean, oh, uh, geez, dude, what? horrendous. Oh, yeah, yeah, horrendous um but that's but but so i i saw all that in 2013 and with my profile being where it was particularly at that stage i mean that was front page middle page back page of every paper i was hot <laughs> off the press at that time <laughs> um and and i and and Bauchi, i said oh how can i help i said what can i do to, and he just said you can just use use your profile that you've got at the moment and you can keep going on it so mm. i mean i went on it And I got more involved in it and I got deeply involved in it and I got even deeper involved in it. And I started batting for rhinos, put rhinos all over my bats. Every franchise I played for, I made sure we had a game for rhinos. Uh, I got all sorts of things done. We started to raise a crazy amount of money. And then I started putting on experiences into Africa with all my high net worth individual friends and mates and acquaintances. And we've raised crazy amounts of money that have gone for it. Um, and the the amazing thing around the whole scenario is that we are making such a big difference. I mean, we are putting. I think I put three thousand children through school that border the Kruger National Park in South Africa. We are. I mean, we've been able to do some of the most coolest things. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a passion of mine. We. Uh, bought a piece of land we built a lodge Um, so we have a family home in Africa uh, on one of the most densely populated uh, rivers for animals in the world so we wake up and we just got freaking all sorts wandering around our place and so educating our children to where I'm from and also protecting our planet and how important the animals are to us has been something that we focused heavily on Uh, We live a wonderful life in the UK, but um, South Africa is where I'm from. And South Africa, when I can go there, I get so excited. Um, It's like you when you finish a tour in England or whatever, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get back to Sydney. That's what I'm like with South Africa. So any opportunity I get to go out there is something that I relish and I love. Um, But the conservation world is also some of the most beautiful and most wonderful work that I've ever done. It's the most humbling work that I've ever done. The bra- bravado and bullshit that we've been talking about on a cricket field, um, walking out to bat at the MCG when you're getting hammered and you've got to puff your chest out and stuff. I can walk around uh, where I live and I no one knows how many test hundreds I've got or anything about me. Uh, if I walk in the wrong direction and an animal picks up a smell that I'm around and it doesn't like me and it's got a baby and I'm not respecting the space that that thing is in, even though we're trying to help them, yeah. it's good night. It's mm. thank you and good night. Mm. So to be w- w- so active with all these people, to be so supportive and to be spo- supporting. So many of these amazing people that risk their life every single day for these animals to protect mm-hmm. our planet, mm-hmm. to make our planet look amazing, to, to, to protect everything that looks beautiful around what we want uh, and conserve everything that or conserve a lot of things that a lot of people are trying to destroy for money just gives me great satisfaction. I, I mean, I love it. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. I just take my shoes off. when I get to Africa. I get to my lodge. My shoes are off. My sh- T-shirt is on. Shorts are on. And that's me. It's not what shoes are you wearing? What t-shirt are you wearing? What do you look like? It's just off you go. No one judges you and you can just live. And I think that's what I've really enjoyed the most about it. No judging under the radar, completely subservient to um, these animals, these majestic creatures, respect them, understand them to have learned so much on animals. An elephant. So you look at, walk up to an elephant, and you see an elephant, and people look up at it and go, "Oh my word, how big is this thing?" But in the meantime, you're looking to see who it's with. How it's got it. Is it a breeding herd? Is it a male? Is it a female? What's its tail doing? Is it happy with you being there? You puffing the dust up to see which direction the wind's blowing, because if you're downwind, it obviously. It obviously it obviously gets you. Um, it can smell you, and you can walk into all sorts of uh, all sorts of strife. So there's all these things that I've learned, mm. which have been amazing. Like I've walked into so many things, dude. So many things. I've had lion on foot, leopard on foot, elephant on foot, rhino. Rhino's been my the one place where I just thought, oh my word! I've. We've all been to the races. So you go to the horse races, and you stand next to them, you. When those horses ran past you, I had a mother and daughter black rhino on foot once. And uh, I walked and I bloody broke a twig with my foot. <laughs> and this little baby got skittish. Dude, I thought that was tickets. These animals ran past us so fast, yeah. if they'd run at us, gonzo. Yeah. It was crazy, the noise. It was just like the earth was moving around us with how yeah. fast they ran past us. <laughs> We've got really bad eyesight, so they couldn't see us, but they heard that snap. Yeah, And uh, it, triggered a, it triggered a bit of a reaction from them. But just that ability to learn is mm. is so cool. And you consistently learn, it's like cricket. We keep learning. I'll never, ever stop learning, and I'll do it. Like this afternoon, I was watching for an hour this afternoon. I was watching a game drive. They have this live game drive um, in in Africa where they've got six places that you drive around Africa and you live. And so I'm just sitting there now, and I haven't been on safari for such a long time. And for an hour this afternoon, I was learning about ox peckers on a giraffe and what the ox peck is doing on the skin of the giraffe and how it's giving it its uh, clean, cleansing. And, like, this, this kind of stuff fascinates me
0: fascinates me yeah and it's amazing that you've been able to use what you've got to be able to really make them like make the most of that to have such an impact and the thing that i, I would love to know is in regards to like the poaching side of things yeah. how, how's that looking is is there, are you starting to get traction or is it still it's a it's a battle that's going to be hard to win
1: Mate, like I said this morning, I got a call from Africa, and mm. this guy had just gone into a mother and baby that had been just been mm. slaughtered, hacked its back, smashed its Achilles, so it couldn't run. Chopped its, uh, chopped the calf's uh, horn off, but killed the calf, mm. uh, killed the mum, Also, it didn't kill the mum. They had to euthanize the mum in mm. front, right in front of them again. Um, and so, yeah, it's the, when there was no freedom of movement during coronavirus, it was. Uh, manageable so they weren't hitting mm-hmm. the animals as much but it's mm-hmm. on the it's on the up at the moment yeah the illegal wildlife trade is a bad thing and that's what's mm-hmm. got us into this pandemic what are mm-hmm. the illegal wildlife trade these guys nicking nicking animals eating them behaving like lunatics mm-hmm. uh believing in all sorts of things that aren't true and us in in us as a as a as a um as a planet in all sorts of strife economically mm-hmm. um socially uh, education wise we're all goosed.
0: yep yeah absolutely there's, there's no question that we need to well what you're doing I just what what you're doing mate with this with Sarai is absolutely incredible
1: yeah just to qualify that's not all Sarai Sarai is a brand save iran africa india which a clothing brand which actually we relaunch uh, right. in a couple of weeks okay uh, and we donate 20% of our profits to conservation into <laughs> africa and then into india as well uh, so that relaunches in a couple of weeks. All the, all the non-for-profit stuff is all the stuff that we've been doing for years and years and years where we are completely focused, just hands dirty and off we go. But um, I wanted people and I got such traction with my bats and the caps that I was wearing and everybody was like, oh, we love that stuff. And it's like, you know what? It just went from the first phase of the brand where we, we had a run on stuff to say, can we do it? And we sold out so quick. So now I've put a proper business in, in place, and we'll be relaunching in a couple of weeks uh, the second collection, and 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 hopefully going real big, so that we can raise a crazy amount of money to, for for good. So watch yeah. this space. I'll send you some stuff. Yeah.
0: No. So so how people go is itthrive. dot That'll be for the the second run of your products. That'll be um, yeah. on that website yeah. to Our, be able to yeah. go, to buy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, in a couple of weeks. So I think in, in the middle of October should be middle of October, mid, mid to late October. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I was on another call today finalizing bits and pieces to do with the e commerce site. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we should be up and running late late October. Um, and yeah, dot com.
0: Our yeah, it's
1: cool stuff, man. It's cool stuff.
0: It's super exciting. Good on you, mate. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. One thing that I've realized is that life is all about how well you bounce back from setbacks that life always throws at you. So do you have a mantra or a saying in your life that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenge that life always throws your way?
1: Yeah, accept failure. Simple. Just accept it. It's going to happen. We're not perfect. Accept it and move on. Keep doing the right stuff. I mean, all this stuff I'm telling you is simple stuff, no? That's just how I've, that's how I've done it though.
0: Mm. Simple. That's the, the beauty of i I believe the power in people is how simple you can make a fairly complex yeah. situation or if, yep so yeah. that's what I love about you because you are very you simplify more complex things that's the one thing yeah. when we talk about like talk about um donny one of the things that stands out to me about donny is how he like just about everything that's fairly complex he can simplify yeah. it <laughs> to like one yeah, to I one know. line I'm like what that is that's power in itself so yeah, yeah, exactly. Accept failure. What you said there is
1: just accept it.
0: Life is not a fairy tale. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I believed it growing up. I was like, oh, you read it in the reading in the fairy tale books. <laughs> You're like, wow, like you know, you just everything's up and it's beautiful. No, it, as you said, failure is going. It's coming. There's a. There's, it's going to come. It's consist, consistently going to come. You accept that it's going to be there, and then you you learn from it. Then guess what then you continue to work your way through it to the best. Yeah. And it's going to come again.
1: (laughs) My my little man, he got out for first baller the other day. We took him to a, to a trial, a cricket trial. And he turned up and he got a first ball and he came off and he was fuming. And I was laughing. He's like, what are you laughing at? And I'm just like, dude, you think that's your last one? You're going to get that many more brother. (laughs) And and it was a learning curve for him. And I said, "I, I feel for you. I don't like it, but. You just have to look at what I did in my career. There were a lot more bad days than there were good days. Yeah. So, just laugh it off. It's going to happen. Who yep. cares?
0: Yep, and learn and learn from your failures. That's the way that you continue yeah. to get better. Yep, correct. You've met and been around some of the most successful people in the world. Is there one or a couple of people who've inspired you the most, and and why? And you don't you don't have to name them, but just if there's traits that you absolutely have inspired you with these the way these people have lived their, lived their lives.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of businessmen crazy successful that spend more time asking about people that they meet when they meet these people than they do talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that for me is just, is one of the most amazing things. Like you can, you can speak, you can have them. One of them is a real close friend of mine and you can walk around and, and, and somebody will go up to him want, want to speak to them and, and, and he'll sp- ask more about the other person than mm-hmm. about them, and make them feel so comfortable. They're going, "Holy shit!" Uh, and and it's one of those scenarios. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing where I've taken my world out to now. Just, just, mm-hmm. just. I was in so much strife for a, uh, three years. I just hated everything about my job and everything I was doing, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just decided, I was like, you know what? I've had so much nonsense. I just want to have fun. I want to laugh and I want to have a good time. I want to only be around good people. And that's what I do now. I just, and he helps me every time I think about if I'm having a bad day or whatever. I'm like, that dude, just, just think about that dude. He doesn't need to speak to anyone, do anything. And he just carries on and he's so positive And he just literally makes people feel so good around him. So that's, that's the one dude. And then um, we b- briefly... Gone into the conservation space, but these guys, these rangers that have to say goodbye to their children every morning um, and they don't know if they're coming back. And I've seen some of the letters that their children have written to them because they go out there on their helicopters and they go out there walking in the bush, confronting poachers and uh, get into co- uh, combats. And uh, those guys re- properly inspire me because they don't earn a lot of money. They really don't earn a lot of money at all, like literally nothing. And yet they are prepared to put their lives in danger to save species, save animals, dedicate themselves to something so much greater than themselves. And so every time I'm out in Africa, those people are just like, for me, heroes, absolute heroes. Forget any sportsman who calls himself a hero, not interested.
0: Yeah, yeah, for the greater good of the whole the whole planet, put their oh, yeah, life life on the line. It's yeah, it's phenomenal.
1: No have inter- I got no interest in any mm-hmm. sportsman or whatever comes and carries on like he's a legend. None.
0: <laughs> None. Exactly. It puts it in pers- into a great perspective what you said there. Thank
1: you, The one, right?
0: the one thing you said about um, your um, close business friend. Uh, there's one line. One line you said there about, and I find it super fascinating. Is around to be interest. You need to be interested to be interesting. And, you know, people come up to your friend to be able to ask, like try and get as much information as they can, but he's showing interest in the other person to be able to build that connection. And that's an incredible skill to be able to have. And that's how a lot of people, you need to be interested to be interesting.
1: It's one of two things. He either doesn't want to get asked questions about himself <laughs> and what he gets up to. Yeah. Uh, or he is actually really interested in, yeah. in other people and making yeah. other people feel comfortable. Yeah. And he does it so well. He does it so, so well. Mm. Really well. Yeah. Really, really well. And it's yeah. it's fascinating. Like just watch him around people and stuff. It's it's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's an amazing skill for sure. KP, I'm so honored to have had you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. You are the batsman that everyone dreams of becoming, and now we all have been so fortunate to hear the insights into what made you one of the modern greats of world cricket. I can't thank you enough for giving me the time to share all of these amazing insights across so many aspects of your life, and we're all that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the true greats of world cricket. You're a good man.
1: Thanks, Watsonia. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> thank you.
0: For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.